Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Cinderella Princeton Tigers sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Are they really Cinderella? I mean, you're playing this up. By the way, I mean, you're supposed to be an unbiased journalist. Uh, that looks to me like you're wearing a Princeton sweatshirt. Right I now. am. I am. I am representing the uh, the orange and black today, Scott. I mean, Princeton to me. First of all, I hear Ivy League basketball is good. Second is. of all, Princeton to me is a name brand in college basketball. You know, I go back to the Georgetown Hoyas Princeton game. So, you know, once you've done this, I don't want to hear any Cinderella stuff uh, about the Princeton Tigers. You came in expecting one. One, I love this. We had one member of our staff in our little office pool pick Princeton to win because, and which we just found out on the morning call, because, well, Eben played basketball at Princeton. <laughs> Cute in, that you played lightweight maybe. football and Sheamus <laughs> took it for basketball at Princeton. But anyways, close enough. She may actually win the pool because of it. So, you know, muscle tough to her. Well, what an amazing run, Scott, by by the Tigers. But but you're right. It is. I, I said that fairly facetiously at the beginning. This this may be the the, the only uh, avenue or only lens by which you can view Princeton as a as a financial underdog in in any capacity. But the two biggest, if if you if you factor just what each school spends on men's basketball, the two biggest upsets of the tournament so far have been Princeton's first round upset over uh, Arizona and Princeton's second round upset uh, of Missouri. So uh, by this very narrow lens, you can make an argument that, that that Princeton is the biggest financial underdog that we've seen win games here at uh, here at March Madness. Of course, Scott, the obvious question or, or the obvious bigger point is that Princeton is one of the richest schools in the country, an endowment that is 14 times bigger than the combined endowments of Arizona and, and Missouri. There you go. So there, there is a lot of ways to view this as not an underdog, and there's maybe one very narrow way to and, view it as an underdog. And correct me if I'm wrong, Novi Williams, no capital gains on what the endowment grows into. Mm. Uh, I believe I, th- that. That may be true. Uh, <laughs> that that would explain the, the the nice hefty growth they get every year. I mean, this is the Elizabeth Warren podcast. You're listening to the Sportacast. <laughs> Give me a little size and scope, by the way. You, so you say those are the two biggest upsets, but what do they spend? What does Princeton spend on its basketball program? And then what are those two? And what's the highest? Because I'm sure you have that data. I didn't want to put you on too much on the spot, but I know you're into that stuff. So you know who spends yeah, more than anybody else. Yeah, I can else. answer most of those questions. So Princeton uh, last year spent 1.7 million dollars on its men's basketball program. 
you get a uh, fucking reference. new balls, you're at like a million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, it's, I bought. It's not by the way, hold much. on. It's not very Hold on. Tangent alert. Whatever sound we have for tangents. So I'm not going to embarrass the retailer because there's no need. But I went. It's baseball season, as you know. The skates go away soon. We we start baseball. So I go and I buy for the first time in my life. I'm like the one dad who doesn't have a bucket of balls, right? You know, everybody's got them. So they pitch like 50 balls, then they go pick it up. My focus group of one and I, it's like I throw five and have to go pick them up. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make the investment. I bought a bucket of balls. We first, first darn batting practice the other day, I took my kid to the park, threw around a batting practice. Many of the balls are completely out of shape, totally warped, like not oblong. spherical. I'm like, oh what God. is this? This is ridiculous. So, of course, you know me. I will be going back with a fury. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You're getting your money back or some round balls, one of the two. Yeah, absolutely. Find me some better <laughs> balls. This is, I mean, totally ridiculous. And I happen to know somebody who works for the company. So I'm going to give them the heads up that I'm not going nuclear on social media here. But this product was just absolutely awful. I'm guessing Wilson or Rawlings based on the sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying nothing because I don't want to embarrass. But anyway, that fair, was my fair. tangent that, you know, I think the best way to go is you need, I'm going to, I don't know, I got to call these like major league teams. Like, can I get your like millionth used dirty brown balls? And can I have those? Because, and the, I mean, the fact that they were oblong and I also got the, uh, the focus group of one a new bat this weekend. Okay. So. He's graduated to the uh, the 32 inch drop three, so 32 29, swinging a little bigger, heavier bat. I, I want to see if he's got that down. Um, but after like a few, I could see he got a little dejected. You get a new bat, you think it's going to launch, it's heavier, you're all ready to go, and the balls weren't really quite going as far as he thought they would. Even though like some were really good contact, you could tell it was good contact. And I'm like, dude, take a look at what happened to this baseball. It is now the shape. <laughs> of you know a, a smushy pumpkin like come on he was like whoa what happened i'm like cheap stuff that, i imagine so, your curveball looks pretty good when the ball is the shape yeah of it's like moving all over the place so do not fret i go if, I, if we're throwing real baseballs you're, you're getting another probably 150 feet on it because because a couple of them you're really really torched and i'm like come on this is awful anyway by the way the baseball shop was absolutely mobbed i, I should have opened up a baseball bat but you, could, you couldn't even walk in there yeah, who says it was unbelievable dying yeah, closeout bats in, I don't even know something, New Jersey, but oh my Lord, do not go on a weekend. It was absolutely insane. Amazing. Good tangent there, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so, I felt the need. It was sporting goods related. So there it was, go. it was. And we'll go back to budget. So, so Princeton spends 1.7 million on its men's basketball program. Most big power five men's basketball programs are in the kind of 10 to 15 range. Arizona was 12.2. So if you do the quick math on that, Princeton beat Arizona despite spending seven times less on men's basketball than the Wildcats. And then on the high end, you get the schools like your Dukes, your Yukons. They're up in the in, in the 20, 20 plus range. So it really does run the gamut. But but in the, the big upsets you see in St. Peter's did this last year as well when they beat Kentucky, you get these schools that are spending low single mil millions of dollars on men's basketball, beating programs that are spending 18 to 20 to 25. Uh, times uh, eighteen twenty five million on, on men's basketball, so you get these these really big uh, you get these really big swings, uh, and I think that's part of the allure of the tournament, right? It, it, it's St. Peter's last year, it's it's Princeton to a degree, and, and fairly Dickinson, which won a big game against Purdue over the weekend as well. It's seeing these programs that you know have have way fewer resources and 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 a lot less money thrown behind them that end up beating the, the, these schools that spend so much more on basketball. You know I am not, and nor do I consider myself a very good tweeter. 
Like I'm, okay. I'm just not like you are. You good in the threads? I'm, I'm getting better. I'm watching. I'm learning. I'm listening. But I thought I had a really, really good tweet the other day. I was hoping that somebody hadn't beat me to the punch. But did you literally? Did you see that somebody smacked a huge hole in the whiteboard at the Purdue locker room? The Purdue locker room after they. And did you see my tweet? Did you see what I I followed? I'm not sure if I saw your tweet. No. I as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Wow, it can't just be me." Doesn't does the hole in that whiteboard not look a lot like the outline of New Jersey? <laughs> so I tweeted this, you know, the state outline saying, you know, and it was almost like it was a little bit off, but easily recognizable. Like if you said to anybody from New Jersey or anybody who knows what the states look like, which state would you say this? I mean, a lot of people would have said New Jersey. Fairly Dickinson, obviously being a New Jersey school, so it fits very well that that's and the, by the, uh, that's I don't know the if outline. T, that you saw. I fairly certain. But did you see the um, the the story about like part of the campus is in Hackensack, but the facilities are in Teaneck, very okay. similar to, to Piscataway and the Rutgers, and Rutgers yeah, as Rutgers, well. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just find that interesting. Like, a lot of people don't know these things. I love it that you find out things about these universities that really, if you were just curious enough, you could have you could have found out like. What's who's been the biggest star of the tournament? Pretty much the SID at FDU. <laughs> yeah, the SID. It's amazing. Yeah, right. for folks it, who, who don't know, the SID is essentially the the, the head media sports information director. SID, yeah. and at Fairleigh Dickinson, it appears uh, it's a job that's held right now by a by a current student, a junior. Yeah, um, which is impressive of him to be able to handle that load, and I'm sure he had a wild seven day week here as Fairleigh Dickinson won in the play in games. Uh, in Dayton earlier in the week, and then again beat Purdue uh, on Friday before losing on Sunday to Florida Atlantic. Does he get an NIL deal now? Does he get something from sort of a management firm or a? He should, right? Yeah, I mean, and, the funny thing is that 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 is an example of someone that always could have gotten an NIL deal, right? Like, I'm, right. I'm sure he's getting paid by the athletic department to do the work that he's doing, and I wouldn't be so sure about that. I see that that's when we don't, or or six bucks an hour or whatever. Yeah, maybe, and and it's funny we can actually broaden this conversation a little bit because I, I wrote something last week about Fairleigh Dickinson's the the business turnaround of of its athletic department. This is a a program that was losing. $4 million on a $14 million budget when the pandemic hit. The pandemic, obviously, pretty catastrophic for schools of Fairleigh Dickinson's size all around the country. It looked for a bit like the athletic department was going to be downsized. Instead, they did uh, the opposite. They well, added they must have sports. read that piece you did a couple of years ago on the way to go for many of these programs is to actually add because you, you get some used up by scholarship you actually wind up bringing in more paying students. Exactly. And that's, that's I'm sure they talk to the same economists that I talked yeah. to about that. When you're a school like Fairleigh Dickinson, which is not entire, fully enrolled, they have empty dorm rooms every semester, uh, it doesn't cost that much to bring an extra student on campus. So if you have an athletic, if you're adding, let's say, women's lacrosse, which Fairleigh Dickinson did a couple of years ago, some of those rosters are, are 35 women. The maximum scholarships you can offer is about 15. Uh, so you can do the math there. That, that can be up to 20, 20 plus full paying students that, that come on campus and they're doing so because they want to play women's lacrosse. So, so for schools like Fairleigh Dickinson, looking at this thing holistically, you get a sense that, oh, maybe some of these programs can be revenue positive for the university overall because of that tuition. Some of the other things that the athletic department did, Scott, they they eliminated a few full-time positions, a lot of part-time positions. They added a lot of graduate assistants. 
which are students that are working in the athletic department, again, filling empty rooms on campus. Um, and and I think this SID, I don't know exactly the origins of him having that position, but it is very clear that the Fairleigh Dickinson athletic department is leaning more on students and graduate assistants uh, th than they were four or five years ago. And that has been pretty critical to their uh, to, to their athletic turnaround, at least from a, from a P&L standpoint. So, so I do think they're related in some capacity. I know you and I often speak to students and we have people calling us saying, hey, can you talk to this kid and he's a junior or she's a senior, she's looking for a job, can you help out, what's your advice? And you and I do a lot of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, I, one of the things I always say is, all right, what have you done? Just tell me what year are you and what have you done? And I can't tell you how many times I'm just left underwhelmed about what people have done. Like they hmm. think, oh, well, I'm working at the radio station. I'm working at the school newspaper, whatever. All right, that puts you in with like 99 out of 100 of the others you're competing against. This kid, can you imagine when he sits down for the job interview or the internship? So what have you done? I don't even think I would tell him. I just whip, I want to see this kid have like a video resume. <laughs> well, here I am after we won in the, you know, defeated the number one team in the uh, NCAA tournament. I'm arranging the interviews here. Then I've got to go do media notes. And here's kind of the video compilation of, of what I did. And show me another kid who has that kind of experience. I'll hire this kid because I know he knows what he's doing. I often tell college students that there's a wealth of opportunities probably within their own athletic department on their own campuses, yep. right? Even all the way up through the big ones, but especially at a smaller school like Fairleigh Dickinson. At least check. At least yeah, those, go and check. Everybody needs help in some capacity in some part of the athletic department. And I tell this story. I may have told this on the podcast before. It, it wasn't my experience at Princeton, but it was my experience one of my first jobs was working in concessions at Yogi Berra Stadium in Montclair, New Jersey for the New Jersey Jackals. And I was also on the grounds crew and I was also helping out in the sales department. I, th well, they minor, minor so league much baseball help. is great for myriad 100%. reasons. They, they needed so much help that they were essentially willing to put whatever on my plate that I was willing to, to add to my plate myself. And, and that was invaluable. I got to see essentially how the entire team operations worked just by virtue of being curious and being willing to do it. And there are athletic departments around the country that are in a very similar boat as well. So tell me, why did the Jackals leave? Didn't they? They left, right? We went to a couple of Jackals. Oh, games. did they? <laughs> oh, am I breaking news for you? Oh, that's RIP Jackals. I remember I seeing some that. headlines that the Jackals left. And you know, I spend a lot of time at Montclair State University, which is sure. right where that stadium right is because the stadium they have is. the ice rink. Um, but yeah, I think I read something last year that they were leaving or oh, ceasing sad. or something. That's yeah. sad. Yeah, there was um, the, uh, the 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 experience there was was great both as an employee and just going to games there. There was it was obviously extremely cheap. Um, you could go and, and relax. It was in a pretty. The, the stadium was really pretty. The, the Yogi Bear Museum is right there as well. It was a good experience. I'm actually I'm sad. I'm sad to hear that they are. That Looking gone. back, give me your best sports business lesson that you learned. I mean, I think the, 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 the biggest thing I would take away is, is essentially what I just said is that just how cash strapped and also how help starved a lot of these franchises are. Opportunity right? like, latent. Okay. I think even the, the, the product was, was pretty good. I was fairly young. It, it just felt like it was professional baseball. I was kind of shocked to see that, you know, when it started to rain, they asked the, 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 the high schooler behind the fry later to put, take his gloves off and grab, grab the tarp and help the, uh, the one person grounds crew get, keep the, uh, keep the field dry. Um, just seeing kind of all of that was, was, a, was definitely an eye opener for me. Uh, and I learned a bit about, I didn't grasp it all at the time, but I definitely learned the, a bit about the economics of 
independent league baseball, which is, um, I don't think I need to tell you and probably don't need to tell a lot of our listeners is not the most lucrative of professions for almost anybody in the, uh, in the ecosystem at all, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely a fun time. That's for sure. We did not discuss this in our, in our two minutes of preparation, but, uh, I don't know what made me, you know, just sparked me, but he was like, enter, you were talking about the entertainment of it all. How about the pub that the uh, air movie got? Um, you know, Amazon Studios, Affleck yeah. Damon, um, it closed South by Southwest. And I was watching CBS Sunday morning yesterday and they had Affleck and Damon on. And of course, you know, there's Ben Affleck wearing his cool Nikes. I was like, that was smart. I don't think Damon had Nikes on, but, but Affleck did. It's the first project for Skydance Sports, um, Athletes in Equity, um, it just the NFL, by the way, an investor, right? In, in Skydance Sports, just this this new wave of of where this is all going. <laughs> it's just the the games are just a little part of the ecosystem anymore. It's like I told you, I was on the flight to wherever I don't know, and I'm looking through the United options, and there was a reality show on the Nashville Predators. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine like. Not like who said let's make this? Who produced it? How much did it come? Like no offense, but I just don't see a reality show on the Nashville Predators having a wide market. You know, I mean, I watched it because I like hockey, and I found it rather interesting. They followed the team in training camp. They followed the team on a trip to Sweden. They have a couple of players like Roman Yossi, the captain included, who are Swedish. I mean, it was it was interesting to me. But who says you know what we need? Like, does this go on Predators Plus? And does every team going to do it? <laughs> Predators and, Plus. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all anybody has. Predators the Max. Preds, Preds Plus. Um, and now with this Skydance, what else are they looking at? Obviously, Netflix is knee-deep in sports without having paid a nickel for rights fees. Uh, just trim. I think I think this, the smartest thing, maybe the best vision was ESPN putting the E first all those years ago. Like, the sports is secondary. It's how do we fit it into the entertainment ecosystem? And that goes for the NCAA tournament, whether it's Caitlin Clark. I know you wanted to talk about her scoring, like, almost all her team's points. We're going to talk about the WBC. I know a player, you know, Ed, Edwin Diaz got hurt, um, who just broke their thumb. Um, uh, Jose, Jose Altuve. Altuve yeah. bro, I, I get it. But who's to say they wouldn't get hurt in spring training? But what do you think the global audience would be? And we don't have the final matchup yet. But if we get USA-Japan... And Otani comes in the game late. You've got you Darvish. You got USA Japan. What kind of global number do you think that's going to do? The, you cannot say no to the opportunity to aggregate eyeballs, and that's what all this stuff is. I I, I agree, and and let's let's have the WBC conversation now because th- there's so much debate going on right now in the sports business world, in the baseball world, about the the value of the WBC. You mentioned Edwin Diaz, Mets closer. Injured himself celebrating, I believe. I, I think he's out for the year. Jose Altuve hurt himself. Freddie Freeman, another MLB perennial all-star that, that hurt himself during this tournament. A lot of fans, American baseball fans, I think more specifically, I think are getting very frustrated with, with the fact that, that for games that they don't seem to care about, their, their teams are being potentially adversely impacted by, by injuries. It seems very clear, Scott, that in other parts of the world and for yeah. the players who are playing in this, especially players from other parts of the world outside the U.S., uh, the World Baseball Classic means something totally different. And, and, and you have so many major leaguers saying that the home run they hit in this tournament was the biggest home run they've ever hit in their professional career and, and talking about how much it means Hello, to be Trey able Turner. to compete. Uh, yeah, I don't think Trey the American Turner, yeah. audience can understand whether it be 
the, the Mexican player, the Dominican player, the Japanese player, when they say this means more to them than the World Series does. That exactly. is incomprehensible to the U.S. fan that has only grown up thinking that the World Series is the epitome of the sport. And, and that is, that, in my opinion, that is invaluable and, and worth way more than the downside injury risk for Major I'm League with Baseball. You. We, we we talk a lot about how 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 great the NFL's business is. There's not much about other leagues' business that the NFL is jealous of. Overseas opportunities is definitely one of those things. The NFL would kill to have an international competition like this where its players cared so much and suddenly everyone in Japan was tuning in and people you know in South happen? and Central America. What's you up? know what? Yes, I agree. How yeah. about multi-language? Where's Netflix following the Japanese team, following mm-hmm. the Dominican team, following the Venezuelan team, the U.S.? I would love to watch sort of the from training camp to gold medal or to championship game for every single one of these teams. Cameras Agreed. embedded a hard knocks for everybody participating. I'd watch that. And, and we should mention that the, the, the WBC uh, is, is organized partially by Major League Baseball and the Major League yeah. Baseball Players Association. So there is a, the, the MLB and, and its players are also sharing economically in the success that, that the WBC has. I was thinking, Scott, as this debate was raging on about the NHL and the Olympics, right? Because yep. some of these same economic and injury arguments kind of weigh in that discussion as well. It's, it's unclear, I believe, still. Whether the NHL but you also is have going to stop to the sending. season. That's a major consideration. You actually have to pause your season. Hundred percent. It's it's a bit different from a, from a scheduling standpoint. But I do wonder if there are NHL owners that are sitting here watching Jose Altuve and Edwin Diaz and Freddie Freeman get hurt and are and are maybe digging in their heels a little bit more about why they don't want to send Austin Matthews and and John Tavares and uh, and and Jack Hughes uh, over to to Italy in a couple years in the middle of their season. See, I think they're watching Predators Plus and they see that <laughs> wonderful documentary four-part series that I was referring to and seeing Roman Yossi go back to his hometown in Sweden and say, you know what, I can do this with my players. I, I can expand this. I, I say the new breed of owner is way more inclined to say, what can we do? And if I'm a hockey owner, especially, what's, what's challenge number one? How do we expand the fan base. We agree we have a great game. The loyalists are here. They're going to watch. What do we need to do to crack the mind of the casual sports fan? How do I get their attention? How do I get kids? How do I? And we loved, we talked about the uh, the cartoon game, right? Between, yep. what is it? It was uh, Rangers and Capitals, I believe. Capitals, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's that. You have to experiment. You've got to get your game out there in new and different ways. And I got to say, my, my kid, doesn't sit down and watch sports. I told you that, right? Yep. Don't think he was upstairs. He gets his alerts when somebody scores or it's close. He comes down, bounding down the steps, put on, put on the WBC dad. He wanted to watch the game. And that almost never happens. He, I, not that we had a big debate, but he said, and you know, he's a hockey player. He said he would last night, he would much rather watch game seven of the World Series than game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. Whoa. Yep. Great. That's yeah. awesome. Sur- surprise. <laughs> That's music to the me, ears but... of MLB owners and MLB executives. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we're, since we're just talking about sport and programming entertainment, you know what I would also watch? And nobody's done it yet. I haven't seen it. But man, how cool. And I know you would watch it. We, we probably have a watch party. How cool would it be 
if we had cameras behind the scenes of the commander sale or the man oh. U sale or the Chelsea sale, <laughs> Put us out of business, somebody's going to do it. What if, if, if I'm, what is that a what, business? If, what, what? No, no, no. Think about it. <laughs> if, if I'm Dan Snyder and I say part of this, you want the, you want to buy the team? Fine. Sign this release. Everything's going on tape. We're, I'm, I'm going to be the, the executive producer and Netflix is going to show behind the scenes commander sale. I'd watch that. I, I, I love it. Obviously, I would, I would watch it uh, probably multiple times. I think if you're about to sell a, a, an asset for six and a half billion dollars, I'm not sure that the, the, the financial uh, benefit of having a Netflix show really, really it moves always the matters. To, it always matters. Come <laughs> to, on, to, you know, to that. the same degree. But, but yes, and, and, and you and I have talked about this and Sportico's discussed it as well. I, I do think that the kind of the 30 for 30 model, if, if you expand it to, to, to the business side of this industry, I think has, has tremendous legs as well. Yep. All right. Let's finish it up with the commanders because yep. as we speak, you know, we may be coming towards a conclusion in that, uh, whatever. We're but we don't want to keep our eye on the phones while, yeah, while we're yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. But you know, right we, we don't want to be behind the times here. So let's keep it macro. A while back, we did a, a piece on do you want to own the Broncos or Manchester or Chelsea? We did Broncos or Chelsea, right? Yeah. Yeah. New York Times did do you want to own uh, the commanders? Or Man United, also on the sale. I know Glazers own a football team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it's sort of a tale of the tape. I know where I always come down. I don't want to own anything where my team can get relegated. I know it's a long shot. I got it. But that's just too much risk for me. I will take the hard cap league where solely on the broadcast revenue alone, I'm making uh, many hundreds of millions of dollars. And then I can throw on tickets and sponsorship and everything on top of that and utilize my team brand for, as a stadium, real estate play, figure out some kind of media. I'm going that way. So I am buying the commanders over Man U. You? It, it, it's funny, and I, I agree with you. It, it's funny that a year ago when Chelsea and, and the Broncos were for sale, it felt like this really rare monumental moment that, that teams <laughs> so in rare. two of the richest leagues in the world were for sale at the exact same time. And we thought they were going to sell for, for very similar prices. Chelsea ended up selling for a little bit less than, than what the Broncos did. And then flash forward 12 months and we're in the same position. A more valuable NFL team is on the market and a more valuable English soccer team is on the market. And we're talking about them as if they could still very well sell for, for something right around the, the same price this time in, in, in the six or $7 billion range. Uh, I agree with you, Scott. The, the, the economics of these two leagues are, are, are so vastly different. In the NFL, you're going to get a team that you know is going to spin off a hundred, two hundred million dollar profit every year. Um, you're not going to sweat the success of the team really from an economic standpoint year over year. Uh, and, and and in the EPL, it's the opposite. You are going to lose maybe a hundred million dollars, maybe more if you're a team like Chelsea every year. Um, you are you're not really worried about getting relegated if you're Manchester United. You are definitely worried about finishing in the top four and getting uh, securing your space in the Champions League for the following year. That has massive financial implications for you. So, so yes, the the you're paying about the same amount of money in the EPL. You're getting a team that's going to lose you money consistently year over year. Um, is also going to cause you to sweat quite a bit the the, the success and the talent on the field. But I think most people would probably agree, and I think you would too, has much bigger appreciation upside moving forward. Uh, we, we had this conversation with Chelsea and the Broncos, but but if you think about the the commanders and, and Man U, and, and if I asked you which team is going to be worth $15, mil, $15 billion first, I, I would say probably Manchester United, just given 
again, the, the, the vast international reach of those brands, the opportunity they have outside of their domestic footprint. Um, my guess is it's probably Manchester United. So uh, again, you're, you may get more value accretion in, in, in the EPL. You just need to be willing to foot and, and foot the bill for the losses and, and, the, and, and, the, and the heartburn that happens for, for owning that team year in, year out. Oh man, you, you know we know plenty of EPL owners, and there's there's a weekly thing where they just oh, it's it's surus weekly surus. I would love isn't to on the ask, NFL, but you don't have to worry about at least getting relegated. I would love to ask Todd Bowley how the how he feels watching Chelsea and, and the stakes for Chelsea, you know, week in week out as they're trying to stay in Champions League, trying to get up to that top tier in the EPL to get into next year's Champions League, and how that compares to watching the Dodgers, right, who have been very good for a very long time. Um, but I would imagine he's not sweating every single Dodgers game nearly in the way that, that every Chelsea game at this point in the season feels like it, it potentially has tens of millions of dollars uh, of, of revenue and, and spending, uh, spending purse tied to it. You know, there was also another sports biz story, which you and I, neither one of us were like, oh, yeah, we need to talk about it. But I don't think we want to end the show without talking about it. And then I'll say it and you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. But how did we forget? What am I? Is it? Did I spark it? I mean, you're looking. I, you're yeah, thinking. I, no I can see you racking your brain. Nothing coming. <laughs> All right. Is it Michael Jordan selling the Bobcats? Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. Just the greatest player of all time is selling his team. But uh, yeah, ESPN broke the news last week. Jordan talks to sell a majority uh, of the franchise to Gabe Plotkin, who's an LP. Uh, Rick Schnall's an Atlanta Hawks minority owner. Um, Michael got in for you know, what got control for a couple hundred million, right? What was the what was the number on Michael? Yeah, much I can't more remember the exact number, but yeah. this team is going to sell for for probably two plus billion. Low, low twos is, is is my guess, given yeah. kind of the, the way that the the Suns deal reset the market. Uh, it seems like Michael is going to stay on as a, as an LP. So so I don't know exactly how much of the of of the control stake that he's selling. Certainly seems like a majority. Scott, he's the NBA's only black majority owner um he has been ever since he bought the team i think a held up as an example for a lot of players like your lebron james's um like your kevin durant's who 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 think about i would like to when i'm done playing this game have, have been good enough with my money to maybe be on on the ownership side at some point what what do you think losing michael jordan who he is also, his 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 racial background. What does it mean to lose him if the NBA does indeed when when it comes to uh, who sits around the table at, at ownership meetings? I can't think from an NBA totality standpoint, macro level. I can't think of a single positive hmm. when you lose Michael. The players respect Michael, the player. They respect his ability to get into the ownership suite. As you said, we have plenty of stars looking to emulate that and learning lessons of. Like, who did we ask not long ago? Um, was What is one of our pods uh, on how negotiations, labor talks, because the NBA is negotiating a, a, a new CBA right now. I covered the talks back in, was it in 98, 99? And let me tell you, when the game's best player shows up and Patrick Ewing was the president of the union and but when Michael showed up and you never knew when he was going to be there but all of a sudden you know that oh here here comes the immaculate suit and the earring right here comes Michael the 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 owner, ownership had a different posture they wouldn't dare say things to Michael that they mm. would say to the journeyman the sixth man even though they each have an equal vote on you know what what happens uh, on whether to ratify an agreement or not 
But there's a there was a famous anecdote, and even though I've told it a few times, I'm not sure how many people actually know. But there was one meeting where Abe Poland, and it's funny because Michael would later go on to buy into, and then Abe threw him out, so that turned into a, a headache for Ted Leonsis. Washington owner. Yeah, yeah, the Washington Wizards owner, or it was Bullets at the time, and now yeah. Wizards. But there was a there was a meeting where Abe Poland, who you know, elder statesman in the league, um, was going on about his inability to make money and that this is why they needed players needed to give on certain things. And I'm paraphrasing here the way it was told to me that Michael uh, spoke up and in essence said, if you can't make money, old man, sell your team. Now who would have the stones, but Michael Jordan to look across at Abe Poland and say that I'm also told that Abe became so red faced and incensed. And again, elder statesman in the league, like, David Stern had to stop him from going after Michael. Like he just got so angry. But there is a huge difference when someone like Michael is at the table and now he's on the other side. And you know, we've talked to players saying, Yeah, it's pretty funny to see how Mike is flip-flop telling us how we need to give things back because you know it's so hard to make money uh, as an NBA owner. But can you think of a single good thing from a macro level, like losing Michael as an owner, um, losing the voice, losing the the star power, all of it, just, I, I, I can't think of it. I, I can't, no. I, I did see some speculation about whether this might be Michael freeing up capital and maybe interested in owning a, an expansion team, maybe somewhere uh, elsewhere in LeBron the country. LeBron and Michael um, together on a Las Vegas bid. Hello. That, that would be amazing. That right? would be that, the one good that, thing. Okay, that, that would feels be a, like good, a thing. good thing. Yeah, exactly. That go. feels like a good thing. But but I, I don't think either of us know exactly what Michael's thinking or his intentions are. No, I think this is a, a bad thing. And again, it, not just racially, but I think the gradual homogeneity of of big time I'm sorry owners. what was that word the, the, the gradual homogeneity <laughs> wow uh, homogenization whatever it is Williams. there you go yeah um yeah I think that again as as these teams get more and more expensive the pool of people that can buy them becomes smaller and smaller and uh it, it really does feel like it is tech billionaires or private equity uh executives and, and that's not the most diverse group of people um, it, it, no matter how you slice it, it in America right now, it just feels like those are the people that are able to buy these teams now. And and if Michael Jordan does indeed sell this to a to a group that includes a, a private equity LP um, of, of his and also a, 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 a private equity LP who's currently in the in the Atlanta Hawks, um, that just feels like again, it's just one more one more big time professional multi billion dollar franchise that is owned specifically by by people who made their money in that in that category. Um, and, and I do think in some ways the NBA has benefited from the, that, that kind of new blood ownership in the past decade or two. I think it's part of the reason why the NBA does a really good job in terms of innovation, in terms of tech, uh, a lot of progressive things that they do, I think come from that cohort of people. But I do think you also run the risk of eventually that cohort just being the league entirely. And that also feels like feels like a bad thing. So yeah, we'll see if Michael actually ends up pulling the trigger if a deal, if a, if a deal does get done. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think on the whole for the NBA, losing Michael Jordan from that position, uh, I think does have, have a bit of uh, some negative downstream qualities. That's a, it went a long time just to say I agree with you, but okay, we'll get, we'll, we'll give it to <laughs> you. It's not like guys. we're not three, three minutes over. I think we need to rebrand the podcast as the home of like great data from Evan Novi Williams and the value add anecdote from Sasha. <laughs> 
Good there stuff. You go. Mega. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.